for the last four years, you came to this podcast to get your needs met, to be fulfilled, to get a pro wrestling, pop culture, and that oh so naughty feeling tingled inside with a little bit of grass sprinkled on top. Now it's time for your hosts, Chad Allen, Shelly Allen, Zach Romero, and Luna Lynn. You are tuned in to the IndyCast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IndyCast. Uh, it is a sexy, after-dark, all-boys episode tonight. How you doing? And so I am, of course, one half your host here, Zach Romero. Joining me, as always, the uh, Coculus Maximus of the group, uh, Chad Allen. A sexual white chocolate today, I think oh, I'll be. I like that. I like that a great deal. Um well, because white chocolate's not real chocolate, so that would be the that would be on the back would be like the very snotty explanation of what white chocolate actually is. Well, you know, there's no white cocoa beans, so it's not technically chocolate. I don't give a shit. That's chocolate to me. It's delicious chocolate on top of it. I feel like that's your um your Willy Wonka knockoff brand. I don't give a shit. That's chocolate to me. Brand candy bar. That's true. I can I can throw them out as uh, at, at like uh, at indie shows. Very nice. They can be the, the the Willy Wonka of that. Yeah, that's now I'm thinking how creepy that sounds. Yeah. Say, I'm going to go to indie shows and give candy to strange kids. All right. Yeah, that's how that should go, right? Yeah. yeah right. So, no, I'm no, I'm not going to. What do you mean? No, I'm not going to try to touch your kid. What? Do you what? Mean? what? No, You're don't. There's no, 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 tell security to go back in his corner. He doesn't need to come over here. Yeah. yeah. I'm here to watch the show too. Um, but yeah, so. White chocolate is real chocolate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, I have to deliver my TED talk on why white chocolate still counts. Um, but, uh, but in addition to, uh, discussing diabetes, uh, we are also here to talk about a little, uh, field trip that one, uh, Chadley Allen went on recently uh, to Universal Studios Orlando's Halloween Horror Nights. Year number two, officially. Uh, my second year going to Halloween Horror Nights, we had a big, uh, a big conversation about this exact subject, I think right around this time last year, interestingly enough, uh, talking about Halloween Horror Nights, so we'll, we can definitely uh, compare and contrast a little bit from mm-hmm. last year to this year, so... So was was I know I know part of this answer already, but was there a house in particular or any aspect that you were looking forward to most for this year's uh, uh well, you know, attraction? A funny story. Let me let me go through some of the houses that I actually um wasn't that interested in that I think a lot of people will be shocked by. Well, there were there ten were, this year. That was the big thing. There were ten different haunted houses. At Universal, which is the most they've done in one year. There, there's definitely a lot in comparison to, like, Bush Gardens, who's also in the area, who does a Hollow Scream, which is very similar, and I believe they only had five or six this year. Yes. Um, but, yeah, they had ten houses, uh, and um, the big one that everybody seemed to have their big horror boners for uh, was the Stranger Things house, mm-hmm. which... We were there pretty much the, the second the, the park opened. Um, 
that they open for Hollow Scream, I should say. The park is open during the day. They close they close it down for a little bit to get all the riffraff out uh, and then let the Hollow Scream riffraff in. You mean Halloween Horror Nights. Get your damn titles right. Right. All right. Halloween Horror Nights. Sorry. Um, you know, to, to let all the, the horror fiends in uh, all at once at about 6.30 in the afternoon. And by the time that myself and uh, my friends Colleen and Colin and a couple other people that were along with us uh, made it into the park, uh, that particular house already had a 150-minute wait. Ooh. And that's walking into the park because it, it was one of the first two houses when you walk into the when you went in through the gate. So everybody just immediately be lined for there. Mm. Um, and I don't think it got below 120 minutes the entire time we were there that evening. Um, now again, the funny part about that is uh, I didn't care because I've never seen an episode of Stranger Things, which I have friends of mine who are into like horror and Netflix and stuff like that who react like I've just told them that I've eaten a baby. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the fun one on that one that everybody was all like, ooh, we should go to that one. And I was like, I don't care. I've never seen an episode of it, so what? Um, they did have a um, Halloween 4 uh, house that, that uh, seemed interesting to me because I do like Michael Myers. Leatherfaces tends to be my favorite. I go more towards um, Texas Chainsaw Master when it goes to like slasher villain type characters. Um, but that one wouldn't have been too bad. They had a um, Carnival Graveyard one that was one of the ones that they it wasn't based off of a, uh, a previous movie or TV show or something like that. Original uh, content, we'll say. Right. That was a broken down, like, carnival with, you know, creepy clowns and stuff like that in it. Um, so they had a poltergeist house that looked like it could be interesting. They had a trick-or-treat house, um, which was interesting because they had trick-or-treat as a scare zone last year. And for those of you that have probably never been to Halloween, uh, Halloween Horror Night, uh, or to what, something like this before, they have two separate situations. They have scare zones, which are just open area out in the street um, sections that they have um, that it's not necessarily geared up into one house, but it's themed all on one street um, to kind of scare you as you're going in between the haunted houses, that obviously the haunted houses are their own theme and you walk through it in a maze-like fashion. So if you've never been, that's kind of the difference between the two. They had a uh, a Bloomhouse one, which had The Purge and um, Happy Death Day, which uh, I haven't seen either of those movies, but The, the Purge was a scare zone last year, um, and I really loved that zone last year, so that house kind of caught my eye. Um, and and those, are, those are kind of the main ones that caught my eye, and like I said, the one that I just could not care about that everybody else was, like, like I said, had a big direction for was the Things now, now I have to, uh, I have to ask: Did you make it into uh, the Slaughter Cinema House? I did not, sadly. Oh, uh, that's so that's unfortunate because I consider that the B movie TV house because it's just that, like weird seventies B movies that they just made up, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I would have loved to have gone in 
into that one. The timing uh, for that one wasn't well. We our our, uh, our group got split up a little bit, kind of like a bad Scooby Doo mystery for a little while. Right. Um, and we just never got back together to be able to try to make it into into that one. So uh, I heard good things about it, though. I got to see some like some footage of it, and uh, it definitely looked like something that would have been right up your alley. So true fact. So so what houses did you actually get to go into? I went into uh, Carnival Graveyard. Of course. And that was it. That was the only house I made. You went to, out of ten houses, you went to one house. I made it through one house, and here's why. Um, and I knew this would get this reaction, which is why I didn't tell you this before we started recording. Um, because ultimately, we beforehand, because my friends had gotten a hotel room that evening, because they were going to go to Mickey's Not So Scary. Halloween the next night, um, sat down with this map, and we looked and we went, hmm, we don't really care anything about any, too many of these houses, but we kept going back to talk about all the scare zones they had this year. Um, and the scare zones, we kept coming back and talking to them about those, so we ultimately hit the, hit the discussion that if we made very few houses, we weren't going to be overly hurt over that one because we wanted to spend more time exploring the scare zone. Um, <laughs> now, some of the some of the scare zones they had this year, and, and some of you might see why, and some of you are are typing angry tweets to us right now, wondering what the hell's wrong with me. Um, they had one called Vamp eighty five, which was a in New York in the New York section. Uh, for those of you that know the park, and I know Zach does very well. Zach has the park memorized, I believe. Very um, true. But on the New York Street area, they had a New Year's Eve party. It's 1984, about to become 1985. Uh, they had uh, an actual like a New Year's ball set up that dropped about every 30 minutes as if New Year's was hitting. Uh, and then whenever, every time the New Year's would hit, all these vampires would go crazy and they had victims that were out there that would get attacked. Um, it was actually, it was a lot of fun because they spent a lot of time dressing up a lot of the, um, vampires into like vampire 80 theme. You had one that was obviously a, a Cindy Lauper, uh, a Michael Jackson era thriller, uh, you know, Prince in the purple jacket and LL cool J one in the Kangol hat stuff like that was all really cool to kind of, you know, see the vampire versions of that. We spent a lot of time out there. Um, they had a killer clown from outer space one, which might as well have been, hey, Chad, spend a bunch of money to come out here and spend most of your day. In yeah, I was just going to say, now I feel like that's the reveal, is it was, yeah, no, I bought the ticket for the parks, but uh, I just kind of partied in the in the killer clown section the whole night. I, I, think, I, I think we ended up hitting that section three times. Once when we first walked in in the daytime where I got a lot of my pictures, um, once uh, later in the afternoon because we were passing through to get towards um, uh, uh, Diagon Alley, which we can talk about in a second, uh, but then once late in the evening because we wanted to see it all lit up and, the, and you know, obviously when the lights go out, when the sun goes down, they get really creative with how they do their lighting and their, you know, for, you know, especially for you and me, where we talk a lot about, you know, you know, we like our wrestling, like we like our pinball machines, you know, bright, mm -hmm. loud, and with, you know, with a lot of color. Well, when the sun goes down, they make sure to pinball machine up the place. Very true. Um, so, like, 
So like in the Killer Clown area, they had projected onto the buildings that were around where it was the circus tent that was the main part of the movie. Okay. You actually like had a big version of the circus tent there. They had the ice cream truck out there all lit up. They had um, smoke. They, they got smart with this one here, and I thought it looked really cool. They had a smoke machine and a bubble machine right next to each other. Okay. So that when the bubbles would get blown, it would pass through the smoke machine and make smoke bubbles that were floating everywhere. Interesting. Which, for, for that area, was, was really cool. Um, and the uh, the clown costumes for Killer Clowns from Outer Space were about as spot on from the movie as I think you, you could get. No, I was going to say, in your um, photos, I, I mean, they are like movie-quality costumes. Yeah. They're, they're excellent. They had some of the hanging, you know, cotton candy victims out there. Uh, you know, they, they had the whole nine yards and yeah, uh, me and, uh, me and my, and, you know, my friends that I went with were in absolute heaven because that's like, you know, that's like one of the, you know, I think probably one of the biggest cult classic B movie, like cheesy horror movies. I think you can mention out there is killer clowns from outer space has to be way up there on that. So, um, they had a, uh, a, a child's play area. Yeah, how did that how did that look? Because I saw some some kind of butt cam footage of it. I wasn't overly impressed, but I was curious how it was live. Uh, I, I we didn't think it was that bad. Too much, a little too much smoke in that one. Okay. Um, they they over smoked that section a little bit. However, uh, the thing that I did love about that section, um, and I guess this was in your Hollywood Los Angeles area, uh, from from what I from what I know about the the streeting there, they had. Um, walking costumes of like evil Cabbage Patch Kids, evil Care Bears, uh, a melted, a half-melted gem uh, was walking around. Okay. Um, so, and then a bunch of characters that were carrying like knives and axes and stuff like that that were all in the like, kind of the good guy costume. Gotcha. The, um, the black and white striped shirts with the yellow raincoats, you know, things like that. So it was so that was kind of cool. They had a um, this weird, uh, like, random walking baby, like, a man baby walking around. They had a, um, a ventriloquist dummy that looked like something straight out of Goosebumps was okay. walking around. Um, they actually had a, my favorite one is they had a broken ballerina um, who had, like, scarred up paint and, and the, the ballerina outfit. But the interesting thing about it is they hired a scare actress who was legitimately missing part of her arm. Oh, wow. She must have had an arm amputation or something, and they used that to their advantage, so it looked like she would, like, was a broken toy that had her... Because it looked like the end of it, like, if you disconnect the upper part of an arm, you know, you've got the, like, the ball joint? Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. So that was... I thought that was actually really cool, but um, along the street, they had big life-size versions of um, some old-school uh, old board game-type setup or, or different toys that were obviously mutated to be kind of the evil situation. So they, like, they had a big version of Operation um, with an actual, like, living victim. Okay. And they would purposely hit the ends to, to shock him, and he would scream in pain every time that happened. 
they had this mutated um, a barrel of monkeys with this really like weird, creepy monkey-looking guy with big arm with big hooks for arms. Uh, they had a huge uh, easy uh, bake oven that was like smoking and stuff like that. Um, but probably the biggest point of that one there was they had a big uh, Lego throne with a Lego stage. Actually, it wasn't a throne. Pardon me. They had a Lego made electric chair. Oh. Um, with a stage. Um, which is where Chucky himself was holding court. So they had uh, basically a, a, a Chucky puppet, um, but they had somebody who was, you know, obviously controlling it and talking to the and talking to the audience. So Chucky was interacting with the crowd, um, and you know, insulting people and you know, doing stuff like that. And every once in a while, he would do the, you know, the. The, you know, give me the power, I beg of you, and they would have, like, lightning flash and stuff like that. Okay. So it was, um, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I didn't have a problem with it, but it, uh, of the scare zones, probably probably the cheesiest, but, you know, but the, 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 let's be honest, the child plays movie are pretty cheesy to begin with. True, um, although I will say I do love Brad Dourif's performance in them as Chucky. Like, I, like... Oh, God, yeah. Like, especially when he's doing, like, the very serious voodoo chanting and stuff like that. Um, you know, later on it gets a little more just like, ha, 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 we know we're bad. And I'm like, okay, now it's not as fun. But, uh, but yeah, no, I enjoy Brad Dourif's performance in those a great deal. But uh, they also had uh, big projections of the, um, the the Good Guys logo. Okay. Uh, with the actual, like, like what the Chucky doll was supposed to be that they were like projecting on the buildings. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the other scare zones are kind of, were just kind of, I don't want to say cliche, but one of them was like, um, uh, like a circus area down by like where the Simpsons are. So they had kind of like, uh, creepy circus freaks that all had chainsaws because they always have chainsaws. Of course. Um, and then another section that was, like, uh, a lot of weird um, pumpkin stuff. It was supposed to be, like, you know, kind of like jack-o'-lanterns come to life. So, um, which was which was really, which was cool, too, but not nearly as cool as, like, the that area where they had it was where they had trick-or-treat last year, mm-hmm. which I thought was phenomenal. That was one of the best areas I've ever seen was that trick-or-treat one last year. And from what I found out, because uh, a couple of my friends went into the trick-or-treat, haunted house they basically just took everything that they had in the scare zone last year put it into a house and said there we go and didn't really do anything different so they were they were actually disappointed with the house because it just felt like what they did last year in the in a bigger spread out area that made it more interesting because it was out on the street and looked like you were out trick-or-treating so okay that's fair but uh, but yeah no we um we surprisingly enough kind of ended up spending so much time in the scare zones and then when we would look at like the wait time for a house we're like yeah um, but then like you know for us this is the, the funny part about Halloween Horror Nights is it's definitely one of the things because everybody's so busy going to the haunted houses then sometimes those rides that usually have like a huge line or the sections that have a really big crowd normally don't so you can kind of take advantage of that like men in black which normally can sometimes have you know an hour long wait if it's really busy sometimes more 
um, was a five-minute wait. We legitimately walked entirely through the queue line, and by the time we got down the steps to where they, they load you up for the car, you were getting in the car and, and, and driving off. And that was that, so, yeah. Right. So, so you know, men in, it was fun to do Men in Black because of that. Or, like I said, we went into Diagon Alley, which is the Harry Potter area. For which is normally, part. even, you know, five years later, it's usually still swamped with people. Yeah. Oh, it's usually when you walk through the area where, because it's kind of, it's funny because it's hidden, but everybody knows that it's there. Right. But usually when you kind of come around into it, it's wall-to-wall people. Yeah. Um, you could walk freely. You you know, lines weren't that bad except for getting beer, of course. That line was crazy. But, like, they have a ride in there that is Escape from Gringotts. Yes, that's right. Um, which I've never been on because I'm too big for the ride, but... Um, but I've been in that area enough to know that Escape from Gringus is normally kind of similar to Men in Black, 50 minutes, 70 minutes, 90 minute wait. Well, we walked in there and it's a 20 minute wait. Which is incredible so, for you know, a Harry couple, Potter ride. Right. So, so a couple of the people that were with me said, well, we're getting on that. It's a 20 minute wait. How can we pass that up? And I went, you're right. No, you shouldn't pass that up and send them on their way. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's weird what areas get crowded, what areas don't when you're in that situation. But, um, but yeah, we ended up not going. I didn't end up setting foot into my first house until almost 11 o'clock at night, and that's when we were like, well, Carnival Graveyard doesn't have that much of a line, and that's when we kind of got into that one. So, and how, then, don't get me wrong, that one was amazing. I was going to say, how um, was Carnival Graveyard since it was the only goddamn one uh, you went in? <laughs> Well, they did, they did something really interesting here, which I found funny, and, and, and this is one of those things that I didn't know, and one of the people that were with us was somebody that worked at Universal. Um, she had just gotten off of work and then met up with us to, to hang out, um, and she goes, oh, look for the buttons in here. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, there's buttons in the ride, there's buttons in the queue that if you hit them, it squirts water on the people behind you. Well, that's amazing. I don't realize that it's in, like an actual thing, that there's a button there. And there were two brightly lit red buttons that I don't think anybody would have ever thought about hitting if she hadn't told me about it. So then we were like smashing them like they were like, you know, like they were attacking us at some point. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you could, and you could definitely hear when you hit the buttons, you could hear people react in the back, you know, from three, four feet behind you that, oh my God, what the hell is that? Because we were spraying them with water and that was a blast. That's, I was going to say, that is worth the price of admission. Um, the best part of the Carnival Graveyard one, though, is, and, and I love the fact that they're doing this, and I, I saw it a little bit last year as well, but they, they definitely brought it up and apparently I was told in another ride, in another ride, in another one of their houses, they did something similar. But um, there was a section where you're walking through and amazingly enough, nobody's jumping out at you right away and you're like, okay, something's going on here because there's been somebody jumping out at me at every corner. Right. Well, when you look up above you before you go through this door into the next room, um, there is what you think is like a, a clown statue up above you, but it's obviously actually a scare actor. And he basically dives off of the thing, off of the platform he's on, because he's above our head, like door level above your head, on mm-hmm. the door. Um, but he's got a, like a harness and a bungee on. Mm. So he 
he gets down to like he's not that close to you, but he's close enough that it definitely scares the crap out of you. And then the bungee puts him right back up on the platform again. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I and I thought that was amazing. It scared the crap out of me because I was just not ready for somebody to kind of be bungeeing to us like that. But it was. Uh, but no, it was a, it was a like I said, it was a great house. It was a blast. We had a great time. And like I said, every scare zone there this year is. Like I said, other than the, the pumpkin one, which seemed a little weak, um, I thought it was top quality. We had, we had a blast. We were there. To, we got there at 6-ish. They opened up doors at 6.30. I think we probably finally got in at like quarter to 7, 7, 6.50-ish. Because it takes forever. I, I'm, you know, there's thousands of people that all, are all waiting in line to get in. Yeah. And then they got to check all the tickets and all that jazz. Um, but we didn't end up leaving the park until one thirty in the morning. Holy shit. And felt like, and, and did not feel disappointed in the least because we thought we, we hit everything we wanted to and the stuff we got was great. And we've got tons of pictures of everything. So, so, uh, yeah, why not? But yeah, definitely. I, but yeah, all that time. And that's what I was, I was kind of laughing about. I think I even mentioned it to, to my friend Colin at some point. It's like, I know we're going to talk about this on the show, and one second I tell him we only, I, we only went into one house, he's going to be like, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, basically. So. Now, let me ask you this. So in the last few years, uh, Universal has sort of... Um, you know how Disney has like their strict, they don't want to see selfie sticks and things like that sort of uh, ruling? At Halloween Horror Nights, Universal sort of embraced the opposite in terms of there's typically a scare zone that they're pretty open about people taking photos. I remember a year I went, it was like a drive-in theater, and they had a bunch of random horror uh, characters like Freddy and, and Stephen King's Carrie and you know everybody else walking around, and they weren't really hidden anywhere. They were just kind of meandering around this area posing for photos with people, selfies, you know, things like that. So I'm, I'm curious, were there any scare zones that were sort of the designated, like, hey, we're not here to scare the shit out of you, we're here to take pictures and, you know, whatever. Was there a zone that was like that, or were they all pretty open to that, or were they all pretty serious business? Um, I only had, uh, of all the pictures I got taken, because I would ask any, uh, every single one of them, hey, can I, can I get a picture with you? And pretty much... All but two scare actors of the entire time I was there stopped and, and let me take the let me take the picture, take the selfie. Okay. So um, there was one in Vamp eighty five um, who she just said no and walked away, and I'm not sure why. Um, I don't know if they because obviously they they rotate the actors, so I don't know if maybe she just had to leave or what the Well, she said was. no because she was a vampire and she wouldn't show up on the film. Well, but that's the funny part because every other vampire stopped and showed up on the film for Oh, well, never mind then. One of, them, one of them gets bonus credit for me because obviously it was Vamp 85, so, you know, we're, we're supposed to be in the middle of 1985. And as I'm getting ready to take the selfie with my phone, I go, hey, dude, you mind coming over and take a picture with me? And the guy goes, yeah, man, that's great because he was like, um, uh, like every kind of like obnoxious rock kid in an 80s movie you've ever seen. Okay. Um, definitely like, you know, hair band, you know, 
I'm I'm here for you know uh, you know bullet boys baby you know that type of stuff right um but I got him to stop and he's like yeah man no problem, no problem. is that your camera and I'm like yeah dude and he's like where do you put the film oh good okay I'm like excellent job keeping keeping with it so yeah. uh, and I actually the funny part is I got Prince I got the the Prince one to stop for me because uh, I was trying to stop him for a second. And some lady uh, behind me, who was probably half my age, goes, oh, look, there's Michael Jackson. And I went, that's Prince, you fucking heathen. How dare you? Oh, my God. And that's what got Prince to stop and turn around and be like, I know, right? And took the picture with me because I I cursed out the lady because he couldn't do it, obviously. That's awesome. um, The only other person that wouldn't do it was there was another scare actor in... Um, child's play who was just one of the raincoat people with the with like an axe um, who was following us but then wouldn't stop for the picture but then I figured out later on that she kind of did because I was posing with um, I think it was Jem like the melted Jem character Mm -hmm. and she snuck into the back of the picture so she's got like her axe up above above her head getting ready to like strike it down on me as I was taking the picture and she ran away again and I didn't realize she was doing it oh that's wonderful bonus points to her right so it's a little like our uh, it reminded me a little bit as I I look back at it as uh, uh, you and I once took a picture uh, at a brawl show that you were ring announcing and I had shown up the peanut gallery and um they had just, I think they had just crowned Brawl Tag Champs, or we were doing something with the Brawl Tag Belts, but you and me grabbed them and got a picture with them. Um, and then I don't remember who was taking the picture for us, but then John Davis snuck in behind me. Oh, that's and scarier than any like, scare zone at Universal. Right, right, exactly. And he was giving me the death look, and now I'm going to have to find that picture and try to put it up for this. But yeah, I definitely remember that picture is hysterical that John Davis is like, Looking, you know, giving the death look behind us as we're posing with the the brawl uh, tag team belt. So. Yes. Well, speaking of uh, wrestling, last I checked, this was supposed to be a wrestling podcast, and uh, Chad and I were were having a pre-show discussion about various things, all positive. I assure you, we weren't taking pot shots or shit talking anybody. Um, we would never do such a thing. We are not those kinds of people. But we were talking about, um, except for, no, never mind. yeah, that's, yeah. Um, but we were talking about, um, a few different things and I had come up with this idea of, uh, so Chad and I have, uh, a bit of a history with the Florida company shine, the all women's professional wrestling company under the, uh, WWN banner that, that's true. Uh, bouncing between Ebor City, Florida, and uh, New York, I believe. Um, and it's usually uh, Queens, but I think, I think yeah. Shine mostly is a uh, it's the Florida it's the Florida based one. Yes. So, so we were talking about that, and I actually had come up with this sort of um, this theory that um, you know Shine. You can Google this kind of thing behind the scenes has rotated hands in terms of who was uh, kind of booking it or, or steering it uh, creatively. 
Um, it's changed hands over time. And so with that, you see sort of different eras of shine. Nothing as like drastic as like, we're not talking like WCW where it's like, well, this was the Watts era. Like it's not nothing that drastic, but if you watch it consistently or if you've stayed a fan for, for a long time, you see kind of a, sh- a shift in things. You see where certain, you know, um, factions or characters, storylines just kind of fade or, you know, whatever. But, um, my thought process is since evolve as a company, which is still the WWE flagship company, I would say since they are in such close proximity to NXT and WWE in terms of us, I believe suggesting, um, you know, potential talent, you know, we've seen, so we just saw Matt Riddle get signed and, um, Keith Lee, like there's a lot of kind of like if Evolve puts their stamp of approval on it, WWE takes notice. And with the recent Mae Young Classic, uh, there were a number of competitors in that that went through Shine at some point. Now I can't sit here and say like, oh, they were homegrown Shine talent because that's not true, but they at least spent a little time, some of them in the Mae Young Classic, spent some time at Shine. So my thought process is, is we have an opportunity where, who knows, we may see a bit of a resurgence in Shine and being pushed as more of like a um, maybe more prominent American all-women's wrestling company because of the close affiliation of WWN and NXT. Basically what I'm saying is, if Evolve is sort of the auditioning process, which many have suggested it is now, for NXT, why couldn't the same be said for Shine in terms of female talent? So, I think we've got a better shot now than ever before that we may see another resurgence in Shine. We might see, um, you know, new talents come through the door, and who knows? We may see, maybe May Young Classic 3 might be, like, practically sponsored by shine you know who knows so i'm um, i have high hopes i have optimism that um that shine will kind of find a good growth period here and maybe bring in some new talent and um hopefully get a bigger better audience and just continue to thrive now that wwn is you know kind of bffs with wwe it seems that's my theory welcome to my ted talk hope you enjoyed yourself well, let me, let me continue your TED Talk, because uh, you are obviously the uh, in-demand announcer here in, in the state of Florida. Why, thank you. So you get to see a lot of different uh, companies and a lot of different wrestlers come through. Uh, who are some of the females that you're seeing down here, or at least have seen come through some of the companies that you've had to announce for, uh, that you think maybe should look into getting a look uh, from Shine, or you know, obviously at some point Shimmer is another is another big one. Uh, that maybe if we're looking at May Young three next year, that is somebody we should be looking at. Well, um, there's a couple of things I have to preface this with. Number one, I'm going to try to limit myself to a small number of suggestions because I don't want to just be like every lady I get to deal with because they're all great. Right. Uh, number two, if I'm being brutally honest here. Um, there's a lot of females in training here in Florida, but like, for instance, your shine roster, a lot of them are out of towners. So 
not to say that like there's a limited amount of female talent going right now because there's not. There's fantastic female wrestlers all over the place right now. But in Florida, we're just sort of a hotbed for everything, meaning we're not a hotbed for any one particular thing. So I can't just be like, oh, it's an all-you-can-eat buffet of female talent, which sounds really creepy. Um, but that being said, uh, getting to see Aria Blake on MLW, uh, I'm thrilled to see that she's not only healing up well, but, you know, getting back into it. Because sometimes, um, and this isn't just like a female wrestler thing, this is just wrestlers in general, um, sometimes at a certain point, it seems like the the push to have to sharpen the wheel, as it were, kind of gets dulled. Um, you know, it's sort of the like, oh, when do you stop paying your dues? Like, that kind of a thing. At a certain point, there's wrestlers who are like, all right, I know what I'm doing, I don't need to train anymore. So, to see Arya, who has been in wrestling for a few years now and is recovering from major shoulder surgery, really hitting, you know, the training hard and the gym hard. That's wonderful. Same thing with, uh, Selena. We just saw that she just did a recent gym workout thing. So even though her knee has spontaneously combusted, uh, for the second time in her short career, she's still hustling and still working and still putting herself out there. So that's amazing. Uh, in terms of just like talent that I've dealt with personally recently that I think have potential for the future. Uh, the two that I'm limiting myself to are, uh, Catalina Perez and Avery Taylor. I've seen both of them work, um, several times, especially in ACW. And, uh, both of them are very, very good. They've already got, um, great heads on their shoulders for being kind of newish out of wrestling school. And, um, the, the other thing, and, and Chad, you sort of pointed it out earlier in terms of gimmicks go a long way. Um, both of them have strength going into promos as well, which is such, um, such icing on the cake basically, because, you know, a lot of students, when they come to those schools, they know how to wrestle, you know, they've got a good handle on the basics, but you can't necessarily just teach magic promos. And so both these ladies have done well and are continuing to build confidence in their ability to tell stories and, and cut promos. So, um, those are two that I would say keep your eyeballs out for because they're both very talented and both um, doing well. Now, like I said, there's plenty more. I just wanted to kind of limit myself because I didn't want to go overboard here um, and just be like Captain Name Dropper. But those are two that I would say seal of approval on. Well, and, and the, let me put a couple in there for mine that are actually different from yours, very Good. interestingly enough here. Um, one of them who's already in Shine. So this might be cheating a little bit, but I think she's starting to become more of a name for herself in Shine, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, uh, but I know I've seen her uh, before at like Tampa Bay Pro shows and things like that because I do believe she's a student of Jay Lethal's school, which is not a bad place to be. Um, and especially like we had mentioned, uh, obviously you had just mentioned some people that have come out of Jay Lethal school as well. True. So, uh, but uh, um, Brandy Lauren. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is amazing. Uh, she's wrestled for a little bit as well in Impact as uh, Ava Story. Yes. Um, so take your pick. But uh, either way, she's probably one of the best female heels that I have seen in quite a long time. Um, she's definitely, you know, a great wrestler. She's gorgeous, but she definitely knows how to make a crowd absolutely hate her. Uh, and that's the biggest compliment I think I can give somebody 
she comes out, and um, she's great with that. Uh, the other one that I want to bring kind of on the other side of that, so I'll go one heel, one face, um, and she's done some stuff, a little bit of stuff with, like, NXT uh, and the like before, but uh, I would say that in about a year or so's time, if Amber Nova is not, uh, like, a bigger name on the wrestling scene, I will be, I will be shocked. Because um, I feel like she's somebody that um, she has to look, uh, you know, a very much again, you know, the, the difference between her and Brandy Lauren is when Amber Nova comes out, people absolutely love her. She just has a look of somebody that you want to cheer for. And um, I, I think she's definitely going to be something huge at, at some point in, in her career as well. So those are probably my two that I would, I would say be looking out for on the, on the women's, in the women's scene right now. So. Well, a little tease for uh, your second pick there. Uh, had a discussion with her today on behalf of Fully Gimmicked, so we may be working on a little something. Very nice. Yeah, so expect uh, hopefully that sometime soon. Um, but yeah, so what do you think about my uh, initial TED Talk idea? Of, do you think we've got the possibility of a resurgence in shine because of the closeness of WWE to WWN? Uh, I would think that would be absolutely amazing, and I think and I think they should because I, I, I definitely think if you are going to continue to do things uh, like the Mae Young Classic and use that as kind of a stepping stone to move people in like they've done you know, in, in previous years, uh, like this year, you know, Mia Yim, for, well, two years now, she was in both incarnations of the, the Mae Young Classic and has shown to be herself an amazing talent that we already knew long before. And Mae just Young got Classic. signed because of it. Right. But just got signed. So, um, you know, if, if you have a place that you already know you trust with finding good talent like you do with WN and Evolve, um, why not let them help you find, you know, female talent too? And you've got something, you know, in the area, because like that, like we were saying earlier, um, Shine tends to be a Florida company. They wrestle usually out of Newport City. They've got a great setup there. WWE's main NXT hub is obviously right in Orlando. So it's, what, an hour, hour and 15-minute drive for somebody to get down into this area and... And, and scope things out, yeah. Here to, ...to do that, so, you know, why, why not? You know, why not definitely make that make that a thing? Because, um, I mean, like I said, you're, there's some great alternatives out there, don't get me wrong. Again, we, you know, obviously Shine is almost a sister company to Shimmer, but that's out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got WSU out of the Pennsylvania area that's connected to Combat Zone. Um, Not to mention Queens of Combat, uh, usually in the Carolinas. Um, uh, um, uh, Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment has one as well. Uh, Roar. Roar, that's right. Um, You know, another good one out there as well. But again, if you've got something that's kind of right in your area, right in the wheelhouse, and you can get people brought in, with people you already trust, why why not use that to your advantage? So, very true. It just it just seems silly not to. It so. just makes good sense. <laughs> so, uh, other quick thing, just to completely go off subject here, that I, I definitely want to bring up um, two very interesting things when it comes to uh, Bullet Club members. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I don't know if you've heard this one yet. Uh, there is a rumor apparently that. 
uh, one Mr. Hangman Page uh, had received an offer from World Wrestling Entertainment to sign, and the rumor has it he turned it down. That's interesting. Uh, right? Um, and uh, it is to, to note that uh, WWE recently signed uh, now former Ring of Honor television champion Punishment Martinez mm-hmm. uh, to, an, to an NXT contract, so he'll be, he'll be coming up very soon. Um, and a lot of people have been saying, and the rumors are kind of floating out there, that WWE looks to be possibly doing another little bit of a talent raid here, and they're very much eyeing uh, the Ring of Honor faithful and, you know, obviously some New Japan folks that may currently not be under contract right now. Hmm. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts on WWE kind of looking to, to do a talent grab again? Hmm. I don't know, man. I mean, you did just bring in, you know, Adam Cole and, and Roddy <clears throat> and Ricochet and Red Dragon. And, you know, they've recently moved a lot of people. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how much movement from NXT they put in, like if they're starting to move those people up, then um, I don't see why they couldn't. It just, I don't know. I, I, I guess if that's the rumor, then I, I can't say that it's going to be slim pickings. I mean, they've got all kinds of amazing talents waiting for them. So, you know, I wouldn't blame them. But, but do you find it interesting now, like, you know, I've, there's been stories in the past that the Young Bucks have turned down WWE offers and things like that. Uh, but I, and, and nothing against Hangman Page, who, by the way, if, if for some reason you're used to Hangman, you're listening to this, we'd love to have you on the show. Right. Um, <laughs> True. Let's get that out of the way. But, but um, like, there's a bit of a difference when it comes to the comparison of Page and where he's at in his career and the Young Bucks and where they're at in there. Well, I also think that we're living in a post-all-in era. True. You know, if this was a year ago, I think Hangman would have no choice but to sign just because it's like, well, you know, that's that's at least, you know, promised money and we could do this. Now with all-in being, you know, recent memory, it's like, well, maybe you don't need WWE. Maybe you could just do this on your, on your own and here's tangible proof of that. So, right. now if I'm like... Some mid card guy in New Japan and WWE comes calling. I don't think I'm going to be quite so high and mighty. And go, oh, I don't need that. I'll be like, Yeah, thank you. Yes, I'll get on the plane immediately. But right. you know, if you get to ride the coattails of the Bullet Club, then yeah, maybe you do have the opportunity to say, No, I'm okay. I mean, I do just find it very interesting that the more and more people have, you know, again, and I think we've even talked about this in the you know heading into you know end up like five years that we've done this show. It's amazing how much our even our like take on it has changed because of the way WWE's take on it has changed about how they're signing talent and how they're dealing with people and like letting them you know keep a lot of their character you know characterization that they had before they came to WWE. They're not completely like you know character overhauling them like they did in the past. But now we're also at a point where. People could be doing good enough on the indie scene where they actually have the empowerment to tell, you know, the biggest company in the world, no. True. And, and you know, and, and Hangman Page definitely, like, like you said, has the Bullet Club set up. He's part of the, you know, the, 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 the you know, being the elite show that's on YouTube that, you know, gets just thousands upon thousands of views every week. 
um, probably heading up into the, I'm sure they're probably heading close to hundreds of thousands of views every week. And Ed has made Hangman Page a household name now, you know, as it comes to the independent scene, like you said, was a big part of all in. Um, I just find it interesting that there is a point where people can look at WWE and go, nope, I can do something better. That is, it is, it is mind-boggling that we live in that era now. Yeah. Um, the other person, interestingly enough, who also said no to the WWE, uh, Cody Rhodes just recently beat Juice Robinson uh, for the IWGP US title, which is the, the most recent title that IWGP created. They created it during one of their uh, first forays uh, here into, the, uh, into doing live shows in the US. Um, and he won it at one of their most recent live shows in the U.S., interestingly enough, um, and cut a very interesting promo afterwards uh, where Cody talked about how Juice Robinson, when he was in NXT, was uh, one of the people that would be considered uh, that they would call one of Dusty's kids. Right, because Dusty, Dusty Rhodes was head of creative, and he was working very closely with Juice. And, uh, and Cody mentioned that, you know, he was actually Dusty's kid, which I, I think is a great point. I think that's a great promo that he cut. Um, and I think, uh, you know, for as much as it's like, ooh, that's a snappy, it's a snappy line. Put that on a t-shirt. Um, but also, I think it comes from a place of truth. I mean, he was in a situation where in WWE, he really didn't get to utilize... He didn't really get to WWE has a weird thing where like they don't want to mention your lineage until they think it's going to be profitable. Right. Like, you know, if you're Mr. Perfect's kid, they're not going to mention it until the very last minute. And then they're like, all right, well, he's Mr. Perfect's kid. That kind of thing. Like until it's their absolute last option for whatever reason, WWE doesn't, come out of the gate going like, hey, it's this person's kid. So Cody, you know, never really got to be like, hey, by the way, I'm Dusty's kid. It was always sort of like, well, be your own thing. So I think that's, you know, and they like say about comedy and characters that it should all come from some area of truth if it's going to be most effective. I think it is in this case. I don't think he really thinks like, how dare they say that? But, it, and the, on the other hand, it's like, well, yeah, he was actually Dusty's kid, and he doesn't get to ride that bandwagon as much. He's had to sort of make himself a little bit. Um, right. So I think it's one of those things, um, I don't want to be this fucking overreaching cliche, but, you know, part of the reason why people, you know, why CM Punk's Pipe Bomb could be the most popular video on Pornhub because people can't stop jerking off about like, oh my god, it was so real, bro. Well, no, it had elements of realism to it. So that when it was painted in with that as an option, it was more engaging because of it. Um, you know, the big thing of like, oh my god, it was so real. No, he told them the the talking points because obviously they had the cue of, okay, when he says. Oh, you want to know about the real Vince McMahon? That's when we cut the mic. Like, because if they didn't want it on there at all, they would have just cut the feed and we would have never seen it. So, no, to quote uh, my father, uh, number one John Davis fan on the planet, uh, it's work, it's all the work. 
but because it had elements of realism to it, it was very much more engaging. So I feel the same thing can be said here. Cody cutting a good promo, good line on that. And it's a little bit real because it's like, yeah, he is Dusty's kid. And it's kind of disingenuous to be like, oh, these kids from NXT, who were, some of them are actually making some of themselves, they were really Dusty's kids. Well, no, I was really Dusty's kid, and this is bullshit. So I, I, was, I thought it was great. Now, don't get me wrong, still love Juice Robinson. Still love his promos. Love that he's always just very nervous and frantic and sweary. Like, that's just, mm. Like, talk about every, talk about the everyman. Juice Robinson cut promos like you would have to cut a promo if you just got done running. And then someone was like, hey, quick, tell these people your thought. You'd be like, oh, um, uh, I'm the fucking best. What? I'm not supposed to say that? Sorry. Apologies. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty goddamn great. No? no, I'm not supposed to say that either. Oops. All right. I'll, two, that's two quarters in the swear jar. Sorry. My mistake. Like, I, I, I enjoy that. I still enjoy his promos a great deal, and I think he is this weird everyman of uh, New Japan, even though he's this crazy, like, over-the-top babyface. I'm impressed at how well he's come along, by the way. As am I, because I saw him at FCW and NXT shows, and it wasn't, it wasn't anything to write home about. Um, so I'm, I'm very impressed with how far he's come. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Fully Gimmicked has a whole line of very, very specific horror uh, movie shirts. They all have very specific quotes from some of our favorite films on there, and we are taking suggestions for future shirts. Also, uh, we're going with some specific-ass theme park shirts. We have our very, very specific... Um, Spooky expensive house to save ourselves from cease and desist uh, orders. Um, a very spooky house of illusions and ghosts shirt that you should be looking at at fullygimmicked.com as well as uh, some new horror tees. Uh, we still have our Halloween uh, collection up, which is uh, one of my personal favorites, including the one christened by one Chad Allen in regards to God is dead, heals win. And, uh, and we also have uh, some new orders going out. We actually, uh, we've caught up recently in our orders. And so we've been actually reaching out to some uh, new talents. So you're going to see some new shirts for Colby Carino, for um, Eddie Torres, possibly for Hunter Law. Uh, John Davis, Aaron Epic. There's a whole bunch of talent that we're going to be dropping some new shirts for. Um, I, I, have not, I have not seen any John Davis ones, but I definitely saw Aaron Epic share, share a bunch of shirts uh, fairly recently. And the uh, Death Proof Flag shirt that he has there, though, mm-hmm. is spot on. I love that shirt. <laughs> well, actually, I posted about this on Twitter um, that I know we're doing something right when Luna shows me a design for a shirt. And my first thought was, God damn it, I'm going to have to make one of those for me. So that's why I know we're on the right track. So um, so there's been a, quite a few of those instances recently. So uh, you'll all get to see that soon. And then also, as Luna has been posting on social media, we're getting real weird with some merch. Uh, we showed a little glimpse of our first um, vintage 70s Trip Cassidy uh, boogeyman mask. And uh, as well as one for Miss uh, Kate Nix. 
And also, I can I can say this much, working on a little something um, that's been in demand from one Ophidian and the Cobra. Working on a little merch project with him as well. And perhaps one other creator. Pollyanna! Um, so we will see uh, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, so long story short, a lot of shit going on with Fully Gimmicked. Go check them out. And if you've got a Roku, make sure you get uh, the free B-Movie TV channel. Because holy shit, it's October. Which means uh, Ken, who runs the channel, is basically just dumping every single horror movie he's got in the collection on the channel. And it is mwah, it is delicious. It is delicious how terrible it is. So you definitely should be watching B-Movie TV on your Roku devices for free. And, uh... Speaking of stuff to listen to for free, once you get done listening to us here, uh, if you have not... First off, if you haven't subscribed to the Wrestling Nerd Radio Network... Shame on you. Go fix that. Uh, but, uh, for those of you that have been wondering where, uh, the Hammerfist boys had disappeared off to, uh, they are finally back. They are better than ever, as uh, the old Bear Bischoff TV used to say. <laughs> uh, but they just recently put up a new Wrestle Crush whenever that went up, I think, officially on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So go back and listen to the Hammerfist boys talk about uh, the more current wrestling scene. If you like the WWE conversation that Zach and I don't usually do That's true. on the show, you can get it from Jesse and Rick over at the Team Hammerfist right here on this exact same network so you don't have to go anywhere excellent just back like a show so. excellent alright so uh and I think that's it right I mean, any other announcements I, I would put over full, I would put over Phil Singer Games but the commercial will be in the in the outro right so hear, me, hear me talk about that in a second yes so uh for everybody here for our missing co-hosts I'm the sexually aggressive koala hey we remember today and I am as always Calculus Maximus and until next time everybody we always say Deuces. I took my ginkgo this morning. Greetings, everybody. Chad Allen here from the IndieCast. Uh, well, I guess, obviously, they're listening to the show. Uh, here to talk to you about Phil Singer Games. Uh, I know you've probably heard us talk about it uh, before if you're a listener of the episode, but if you're not, Phil Singer Games for over 30 years has been the top wrestling card and dice role-playing style game that's on the market right now. An absolute blast to play uh, if you play the Champions of the Galaxy version, where you can pretend to be one of the many stars from the future and battle them out, to legends of uh, today from here on Earth with guys like Andre the Giant and the Road Warriors, or to the most recent independent up-and-comers. You can play any single one of them, or you can even play them against each other. It gives you the chance to have those dream matches you never thought you wanted to see until right this moment. And you can find out all about it on philsingergames.com. There are hundreds of wrestlers to choose from. Tell them the IndyCast sent you. Go to philsingergames.com. Shove it in my face. I'm ready to greet the day, you <laughs> fucker. Every single one of you guys has made a horrible decision. <laughs> it's that dirty-ass Meryl Street. We Dude. are. We're touching wieners. Not touching wieners professionally. What I am is a big, queer, stone-cold Steve Austin. So, hey, Zach Romero, I bet you didn't know this. This is supposed to be a rest.